You're listening to Playback, a Variety iHeartRadio podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. Where was the premiere uh, it, of this one? Oh, this one. It was... Um, oh, they well, just told me. It was uh, LA Live, right? Like downtown? Yeah, it was downtown. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. where we had the Get Out premiere, I think, last year. Okay. Which was kind of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. Are you guys comfortable? You... Yeah. yeah. All set. Sweet. No, make all the noise you want. <laughs> Cheer. Cheer. Any, anytime I ask an awesome question... Round of applause is always encouraged. As long as you're not going to have that rapper going, Mrs. O. It's fine. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Get all my stuff lined up. I do like a little backup just in case, you know. I hear you. No, actually. I, uh, the Oscars take it all out of me every year. Yeah. So I I'll be taking a break. <laughs> it's, am- it's amazing you're doing this. Yeah. Hey, man. I wanted to talk to you really bad. Good, good. This movie's hilarious, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. Anyway, we are recording, so we're going to dive right in. Okay. We're here with David Oyelowo. He's the star of Gringo, which uh, I saw a couple weeks ago. David gets to be funny. <laughs> I can hear the surprise in your voice there. No, no, Chris. no. I'm going to talk about that actually. But before I get to that, you know, we're recording this right after the Oscars. What did you think of the Oscars this year? I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I, it's a silly thing to say, but I actually thought a lot of the speeches were really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that jet ski really got people <laughs> motivated, <laughs> moving things along. <laughs> Um, I think there were scant surprises. Um, I was I was surprised by best original song. Uh, thought it was going to be "This Is Me." I thought it was going to be "This Is Me." Me too. Uh, and and to be honest, seeing um, Andrew Day and Common sing that song as well, it just felt like okay if it wasn't the front runner before it should be now <laughs> I thought obviously the same it's a thing. bit late like but, if everyone you know. voted right now after yeah. all the performances they probably would have voted for common yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um and so but but you know that was the only real kind of surprise everything else sort of went as certainly i thought it would yeah um the uh the selma of it all with the the uh, the oscar so white that came out after that we've talked about this before but you know i had ava on the show last week i was curious her thoughts in terms of how far we've come how far we have to go and in, in, in all of that what do you think well i i think it's amazing the difference three years makes mm-hmm. you know i remember you know only only three years ago in protest of the eric garner um situation you know we wore i can't breathe t-shirts mm-hmm. and we got really reprimanded for yeah. it by academy members by other people who just you know i mean the literal phrase excuse my french was why are they stirring shit yeah and here we are three years on and you barely have a lapel big enough to to pin all the badges of mm-hmm. quite rightful um protest you know whether it's daca or me too or the gun um situation so i'm just kind of taken aback by by the fact that 
society, culture, you know, certainly this industry can shift so much. And of course, as I, as I mentioned, the Me Too movement being, uh, a situation that I think will bring about change that is irrevocable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, going back to the Selma of it all, um, also, I just think it's amazing and wonderful that we now have films like Black Panther and Get Out, where there's not even a whiff or a whisper of the need for some kind of white savior character, which I am absolutely sure is why Selma got attacked for its depiction of Lyndon Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know... Because he did not fulfill that role. Yeah, because, you know, there's still culturally, there was a need. There felt a need that if you're going to tell a heroic story about America, it needs to have some kind of white presence that furthered the advance Mm -hmm. of just people generally. I mean, the, the accusation that was leveled against the film was a completely erroneous and false statement that, Selma was Lyndon Johnson's idea. Mm-hmm. And that was planted by a rival studio who was threatened by the film. We now know that for a fact. Don't ask me which studio it was because I'm not going to tell you, Chris. Can't talk to you off the air. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the fact that that narrative even took yeah. is, I think, what is so egregious in a sense. But, you know, I know for a fact Get Out would not have been nominated for four Oscars pre-Oscar So White. So, again, that is something that I I think points at progress. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Now with Gringo, uh, you get to cut loose. As I say, you get to be funny. I was just going to say, I was reading all these headlines. It's like David Oyelowo, you know, finally gets to, you know, be funny or whatever. And I'm just like, I find that people who have that said about them, like people think that they're so serious or something, Mm. often are just kind of funny people, if if you know them. Right. Like, you know, not to drop a name, but Christian Bale is that way. Like he's right. everyone thinks he's so serious, but he's such a cut up, you know, right. behind the scenes. Right. Are you that way in general? Are you just like a, a funny guy in general? Do you think it's strange to see these people acting like, oh, you, you're funny? Wow. <laughs> well, I, it, to be honest, it's 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 nice to at this stage of my career to bring something that for other people feels fresh you know to my friends to my wife my kids you know they know the goofy side of me and that was certainly something i wanted to show more of it's just the way it happened in my career that i've just done more dramatic stuff i I have actually done more comedy on stage and and so of course less people see it but uh, i also wanted it to be the right circumstances you know not all films or scripts i should say that say they're a comedy are in my opinion funny you know i i prefer comedy that is situational rather than self-consciously comedic and um scripts like gringo don't come along every day yeah. You can also use that to your advantage, I, I, I would assume. You know, if people think that you're some stoic presence all the time or something. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm laying it on thick. I mean, I don't, <laughs> obviously, I don't. But, you know, if people think that of you, then the surprise has to be uh, kind of fun to play with. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, but the, the actors I most admire are actors who, at different points, have shown us completely different sides of themselves. I mean, Ryan Gosling is one of my favorite actors, and we've seen him give comedic roles and intensely dramatic roles. We've seen him do action. We've seen him do sci-fi. We've seen him do romantic comedy you know 
that to me is what an actor is someone who can really just ring the changes as far as any kind of depiction of humanity um i love seeing robert de niro when he does his comedic roles having watched you know his earlier work especially and just how intense and dramatic those uh, films were you know it, it it kind of gives a new lease of life i think the mm-hmm. same thing about jack nicholson you know um so to be able to find the space for me to do that is is something i really aspire to what are some uh i don't know comedians you like comedies you like out of curiosity well you know what they were actually huge inspirations in doing this film midnight run is a is a favorite of mine because again it's situational Mm -hmm. you know those guys are not overtly playing for laughs and it actually has some poignancy to it there is there is some some real slapstick to it and then there's just um it's just plain funny and it stands the test of time i think films that are less self-consciously comedic do that I i would say fargo is one of those sideways I can see every day of the week the big Lebowski is a big favorite of mine you know so so films like that that are not necessarily reliant on what you would call comedic actors um you know that that's my favorite kind of filmic comedy how about Nash's Nash Edgerton's uh kind of breed of comedy uh he's got such a biting sense of humor if everybody Mm. home if you haven't seen his short films spider and bear Mm. they're hilarious uh and then with this film you know it's a very specific sense of humor so was it something that you found i don't know not appealing is not the word but it it was a sense of humor that was kind of in line with yours or yeah uh, appealing is actually the right word in in relation to this because i saw his short films and i also saw his feature film the square and a common theme in all his work is hubris you Mm -hmm. know this this thing of i guess karma um is another way of putting it that uh if you do good good things will hopefully happen if you do bad it's going to (laughs) bounce back and bite you in the butt and um you really see that in all of those films and that's actually you know something i believe to be true in Mm -hmm. life and um you know he he really plays on that and he pushes it to the extremes and because he was and is a stuntman there does tend to be a real physical element a shocking physical element (laughs) to it you you watch all of his films i've had moments where i've gone oh like that (laughs) you know when, when something has happened and we just had the premiere last night and you heard that sound a few times in our film and that is something that i love watching and of course love to be a part of yeah regarding his stunt work that first short film he did lucky where he's in the back of in the trunk of a speeding yeah, car yeah, go yeah check that one out too everyone it's shorter yeah, and it's brilliant it, it's great um and also the cast you've got a great cast on this movie yeah. uh you know joel edgerton nash's brother charlize theron i love charlotte copley he's like yeah. one of the funniest guys so great danny newton amanda seyfried uh so Talk about that ensemble, working with these people. Well, I think, you know, when you when you look at that cast, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying about those films and the kind of actors who are in those films and the tone of those films. You know, we are all actors probably known more for our dramatic work, um, but we were all drawn to this because there is something funny about it, but you can also bring a three-dimensional character. You're not 
playing just archetypes or caricatures in a sense. There's there's enough space for specificity, and uh, and I think that that's what all of us who are part of the the film have had the opportunity to show elsewhere. And it was so much fun because almost all of us were doing things that we're not known for, mm-hmm. and therefore just had a lot of fun with because you know as actors you're you're constantly looking for where you're going to be given latitude to stretch yourself to show the audience a different side and and to do things you haven't done before so that i think that sense of fun we were all having really comes through in the movie yeah only press screening i've been to where they served me margaritas beforehand (laughs) i hope that that kicks off a new trend yes anyone who sees the film will will know how appropriate that is and the the little reserved you know because i guess i'm so important the little reserved tag for our seats uh was the the panther card oh right oh right right yeah they were they were working it working it well good uh, speaking earlier of Ava, like I said, I have Ava, had Ava on the show last week for Wrinkle in Time, and I was just doing some quick research beforehand. I pulled up your IMDb. It said you played the It in Wrinkle in Time. Yes, yes. I don't, I I don't remember a, a voice or what was going on there. Tell me. Yeah, it's 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 purely my voice. You don't you don't see me uh, in in that, but that's also a byproduct of my pact with Ava. We've promised each other that there's not going to be a single thing she ever directs that I'm not part of in some way. I couldn't I couldn't be a part of Wrinkle in Time because I was doing Othello in New York uh, at the time that they were shooting. So we we managed to figure it out. <laughs> That's fun. I, I had no idea. I was like, really? <laughs> like I was trying to remember when it said something. Like it's right. It's no, fun it's, to slide it's, in there. <laughs> yeah. No, my voice is, is has been treated. Uh, it, you know. But yes, I play the eat the it in that. That's awesome. Uh, I wanted to talk about Cloverfield Paradox, yeah. actually, which was a very unique situation this year. I mean, which you knew it, obviously, as God Particle. Yes. Uh, uh, what did you think about that whole episode where suddenly Netflix has it and it's releasing after the Super Bowl, like out of the blue? Yeah. Was it, it out of the blue? Like, did you guys know what was going to happen? It was completely out okay. of the blue. We knew that. Well, first of all, go back a bit. The release date was going to be April 20th, theatrical release. And... Um, but we knew there was supposed to be a, a conference call with JJ, with all the actors on the day of the Super Bowl. I was actually in Minnesota to watch the Super Bowl. I was there with a friend who's a huge Eagles fan, and so we, we were there. And so at 11 o'clock, um, I think it's central time, uh, I was on the phone with all the other actors, including the director, and it was on that call that I found out three things. Uh, the title of the film... Um, the fact that there were going to be two trailers on the Super Bowl and the fact that it was going to be dropping on Netflix that night, Um, which, on the one hand, just was completely surreal, but on the other hand was kind of genius because the truth of the matter is in this industry right now, everyone is trying to figure out how do you get people to actually watch your movie? There's just so much great stuff out there in terms of television, in terms of film, just in terms of Instagram. I mean, you know, (laughs) I I see young people literally just getting all their entertainment from that. And so I truly believe that far more people saw that film in the way that it was dropped than maybe, maybe otherwise would, certainly in, in a theater. And so even though it was kind of surreal and surprising, I thought it was also quite genius. It is. I mean, if everyone watches 
in my business are, is watching the Super Bowl to see these movie trailer ads, and it's like, oh, I can't wait to see that in six months. Right, right. But if you know, I was ready for the game to be over. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And and I, no, there's no film I have ever done in my entire career whereby virtually everyone I know had seen a film I did that was released within 24 to 48 hours of it being available to see. I mean, yeah. literally everyone I knew had seen it yeah. because they were all watching the Super Bowl and then they either just watched it directly after or watched it the next day. And look, you know, I, I make movies in the hope that they're going to be seen. And um, boy, was that the case <laughs> <laughs> with that film. Was it actually a Cloverfield movie when you made it? Or was no, that something no. That kinda... It was God Particle. And then... None of that was... that's, you know, at the end. and everything, none, that, As far as you knew, that wasn't... No, no, it, it, it so wasn't. Just, it wasn't a, a part of it. It was as we were shooting the film that that started being introduced. Okay, um, and you know, stealth and secrecy, as you can tell from this conversation, is just a big part of JJ's modus operandi. And um, he loves that stuff. Yeah, right? the mystery yeah. box is his thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And was... Even with his collaborators. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it, we, we we didn't know. Till quite late, and then that Monday we had a we've got a billboard across the street at Variety here, and very next morning Cloverfield yeah. Paradox right there. There it was. I was like, it's crazy. Yeah, and it's just it's just industry wise, it's interesting that you know that's a movie Paramount didn't quite know what to do with, mm-hmm. and so we're at this place now where it's kind of a double edged sword. It's like okay, if a studio doesn't like what they're working with or can't figure out what to do with what they're working with, you can just unload it to Netflix. I mean, it's it. That worked in this instance because everyone saw it and it was a big kind of promotional event, but it kind of raises interesting questions about uh, the future, I guess, of of the business. You know? Well, I think the bigger issue is the fact that because the business is so in flux, what, you're, what you have is probably more regime change than yeah. hitherto has been the case. And I think part of what happened there was regime change. You have a, a, a mm-hmm. new... Um, a set of leaders, headship, whatever you want to call it. And there are films that are probably films that they wouldn't have greenlit or they don't feel ownership of or they, like you say, don't know what to do with because they weren't there from the beginning. And so there becomes a kind of... Uh, I, I don't know, washing your hands of things. And that's not just, you know, in terms of Cloverfield paradox. And, I'm, and I don't even think it was a case of washing one's hands. I just think that there is a very real um, syndrome when it comes to regime change. I know for me as a producer, one of the things you dread the most is that the person who greenlit your project will be gone by the time you are either ready to go into post or marketing or the release because you know it's it's like suddenly one of the parents of a child is mm-hmm. is gone and then you suddenly have someone else who's who's supposed to care for this child as much as the person who was there for its conception um so that i think is is the more anxiety inducing fact yeah. of our of our business right now a lot of people you know it's it's musical chairs out there right now yeah uh you say you're about to start this Les Mis uh mini yeah. and, then, and then you just wrapped up this Doug Lyman movie Chaos Walking that I just wanted to bring up uh, yeah because this synopsis is a trip I'm going to read it okay. a dystopian world where there are no women and all living creatures can hear each other's thoughts 
in a stream of images, words, and sounds called noise. Yeah. So that sounds fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the thing I was so taken with, and the main reason I did the film, is that conceit is um, a fascinating one. Because the reason there are no women is because men can't hear or see the thoughts of women, but women can see the thoughts and hear the thoughts of men. And so they basically decide that is an untenable situation (laughs) um, and so get rid of all the women. And, of course, the chaos ensues when a woman enters uh, the fray in the shape of uh, Daisy Ridley. And um, hence chaos walking. I mean, it's, it's kind of an incredible... Uh, thing to imagine, you know, especially as, and this is a generalization, but, you know, we all like to think that women wear their emotions more openly than men do. But if you reverse that, not only are men wearing their emotions more openly, but you can hear them, you can <laughs> see them. I mean, you know, that just flies in the face of everything that we uh, know to be true of how we interact with each other. And so, you know, in the hands of Doug Lyman as well, visually and just cinematically. It's a really, really kinetic piece. Talk about working with Doug. I mean, he's obviously great action director, great drama director, been around since one of my favorite movies, Swingers. So yeah. uh, what's, what's it like working with Doug? He just doesn't know how to make a bad movie. I mean, that's that's the thing with Doug. I've enjoyed all of his films. Yeah. And, um, you know, even when I talked to him before we did the the film, I could just tell I was talking to someone who was incredibly cerebral. It was a bit surprising talking to him that he was an action director mm-hmm. because he approaches everything in a very sort of intellectual, emotional, and character way. And then somehow the action comes from that. And even when you meet him or talk to him or you're around him, it's so weird that he did the Born Identity or Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Smith. And I sort of love that contradiction within mm-hmm. him, in a sense. And also the character that I get to play, Aaron, who is a very weird dude. I mean, he's... This guy who I would describe as a religious zealot, who is a byproduct of this community and absolutely believes in what he's saying and doing, but he's so out there in mm-hmm. a sense. And so I was just fascinated by the idea of playing that character under his gaze with this conceit. Give me an idea of like where you feel like you're at in your career, what you want to do going forward. Because it's interesting, you do this comedy, you're working with Doug on a movie like that. So like... Do you have a, a, an ongoing mission statement, what you want to do going forward from here? What's interesting to you right now? Yeah, my mission statement has always been the same, and, and it will be the same going forward, which is that everything I do, I want it to bring complexity to what it is to be black on planet Earth. You know, I um, if I wasn't who I am, maybe I would just go from, you know, project to project, just whatever interests me or or whatever. But, you know, I grew up not seeing images that were reflective of my life or the complexity of my life. Certainly black people, Africans, uh, African-Americans, black Brits, you know, all people I identify with having lived in those communities and in those countries um, through the course of my life. And um, I want to 
create images for my 12-year-old self, mm -hmm. um, images that I think would have broadened my horizons. Because I do think that this is such a, a powerful medium, both for empathy, but also for the truth of what it is to be a human being. And we've seen so much complexity and variation and beauty as it pertains to what it is to be white in the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm the center of my own universe and I know that I'm just as interesting and varied as the images I've seen growing up mm -hmm. in this medium that I so adore. And so, you know, that's one of my motivations as, as an actor. But, you know, now as I gain more of a platform, um, an extension of that is to facilitate people who aren't like me or who aren't me also having their stories told. So, mm -hmm. you know, working with female directors, directors of color, um, people who are marginalized or who are deemed minorities in any way, or just people whose stories I haven't seen told or heard, you know, that's something I feel very very passionate about. So, you know, almost everything I do has something to do with that in some way. Yeah. Before I let you go, I also wanted to ask you just, I know you're passionate about it, uh, <clears throat> your scholarship for Nigerian girls. How's yeah. that going? It's going really, really well. We, we, we are at five girls now, and um, it, that's something that is a deep passion in my life because of this reality that I became aware of, and it seems silly uh, recently, which is that the way to solve world poverty is to educate girls. Quite simple. You know, we, we all think it's sending food packs and this, that and the other. But actually, there are communities, countries, societies where if you just allowed women the the same level of education, respect, opportunity, um, platform, it would create in those communities um, a world in which they will be able to facilitate their own forward momentum. They wouldn't need charity. They wouldn't need all these things that we in the West feel we need to give them. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you know, uh, terrorist activity in Nigeria um, has been really targeted girls, as we know, with the, the Chibok girls, and, mm -hmm. and, um, and it's been around the issue of education. So that's something I'm really putting uh, putting my muscle behind. And, and I'm about to be um, a Girl Rising um, ambassador, and that's an amazing um, organization that basically makes content, both literature and film, to educate communities about how they can empower the girls who are marginalized within their countries. And those facilities go out and, um, and basically are changing those communities' mindset. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's a, another new thing that I'm becoming a part of because, you know, I have a lovely daughter and every time I look at her, the idea that anyone would curtail her opportunity and her future is anathema to me. So it's kind of for her, really. Well, that's great, man. Good luck with that. Thank you. Um, movie's called Gringo. Just to shift gears, I guess, to Gringo. <laughs> Movie's called Gringo. It's in theaters now. Uh, have a couple margaritas before you go. <laughs> it's hilarious. David's hilarious. David Oyelowo, thank you for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure.